What's going on, guys? It's JP from The Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today, we're just going to talk about the league. We have a few things to cover, so we have an apology that needs to be said, and Ben wants to start off this episode, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, I, I need to start with this. I have been as up and down on the Houston Rockets as any team as anybody could be about a team over the past couple of months. Yeah. Uh, in the off season, I was so excited about the Amen Thompson pick. And I was picturing him and Jalen Green, the two bounciest dudes in the league, in the same backcourt going crazy. Um, then he gets hurt and they start 0-3 and they gave way too much money to Fred Van Fleet. And I was in the exact opposite camp. I don't want to hear another word about the Rockets for the rest of the season. And then they won six straight. They beat some good teams. They beat some bad teams, but they won six straight and their offense looks great. Their defense looks great. They are top 10 in both categories. So I just need to start with an official apology to the Houston Rockets. Fred Van Fleet, you know, you're inefficient, but you were doing exactly what they paid you to do. Alfred and Shangoon is the man. Dylan Brooks, he's actually a playable role player. Um, I was wrong, and the Houston Rockets are fun. And I, I'm honestly, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, the Houston Rockets are fun, and I kind of forget what we said the first episode, but both of us were like, hey, like this could get really ugly really quickly because they spent all their money on these free agents. And, you know, if this doesn't turn around, like this could be another year where they're like a bottom three team in the league. Nope, that's not going to happen. I'm not sure how much I'm going to buy into them being like an awesome team because some of the wins they've accumulated over the last few days are a little bit skewed. Um, Two wins against Sacramento without De'Aaron Fox. uh, A win against the Lakers without Anthony Davis. The Pelicans win was flawless. And then a win over the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. But the Nuggets are a juggernaut with with or without Jamal Murray. So I'm giving them a ton of credit for that win. Um, but my, what I kind of want to talk about with this team is Ime Udoka. Um, you can go back to when he was hired, when I was living out in LA. I said he was a top three head coach. I kind of backpedaled from that a little bit and settled with top five. I don't, I don't know if it's questionable anymore, whether he's a, or a top five head coach or not in the league. He is absolutely the elite of the elite of head coaches and he just sets accountability and defensive structure everywhere he goes, and we're seeing it here in Houston. Yeah, it's about how you get your guys motivated. And, you know, it took a couple of games for things to look right. Even, you know, the results were losses, but they were bad losses, and they really hadn't figured out who was doing what. Um, But now they got kind of an identity, and to me, it all starts with Alper and Shengun. Fred Van Fleet's the guy running the show. He's the point guard. He's doing his thing. But Shangun is turning into, he was a guy they were benching last year. So they could play, who was it? Bruno Caboclo, Bruno Fernando um, in, in, you know, third, fourth quarter games, just because they couldn't trust his defense. And now he's actually playable on the defensive end. I'm not calling him a great defender, but he's playable out there. He is not a bum. Um, I'm, I'm so impressed with his growth, watching him against Jokic the other night. It's it's baby Jokic. Um, he's doing everything Jokic was doing at a much younger age. I don't think he's going to grow the same, but I'm just like, he's, he's going to be an all-star. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny. There was a meme surfacing last year where it was, if you're a Pokemon fan, Charmander, Charmeleon, and then Charizard, and then it was Shengun, Sabonis, and then Jokic, kind of the evolution of, I think Shangun has possibly passed Sabonis 
in terms of quality of player. Sabonis has not shown the ability to grow on defense. You know, I'm never going to say Shangun's an awesome defender, but you're right. He's playable at this point. Teams aren't just barreling into him on purpose over and over again. He's at least big enough and smart enough defensive IQ wise to be in the right positions. Um, I've been very impressed with him, especially after me calling him overrated for the first two and a half years of his career. You know, I've been very pleased. And I texted you this the other day. I'm curious to get your opinion on the pod about this. I've compared Jalen Green to Jalen Brown to you privately in our text threads. And what I mean by this is a guy who's basically a hired bucket. It's going to be about an even assist to turnover ratio. And there are going to be nights where he runs the entire game because of his scoring and getting to the free throw line. Do you see any similarities between the two or am I kind of grasping at straws there? Um, I mean, I don't know that I see it the same way you do, but I get it. I get the comparison. Both of these guys are not brought out there to play defense. Neither of these guys. So for all of the crap that we can talk about Jalen Green's defense over the past couple of seasons, he's locked in to start this season. Um, Again, not a guy you're going to call some excellent lockdown defender, but the effort is obvious. It is there every game. Um, So... Maybe it's not a terrible comparison, man. I think Jalen Green is a bit more scoring or nothing. And Jalen Brown is Jalen Brown's at least a plus on the defensive end. He's not going to pass, but he's at least, you know, if Jalen Green's not scoring the ball, he's really not doing much out there. Uh, We saw it against the Nuggets the other night. He had, I think he had five assists, but nine points, 10 points was not able to get anything going. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I do think, I'm glad you gave Jalen Green credit for his defense because He is like a 99th percentile athlete, and Mm -hmm. he can show it off on defense when he's running around screens, and his vertical alone allows him to challenge shots maybe someone else his size wouldn't be able to. Um, I've been really impressed by the Rockets, and like, you know, obviously we flip-flopped on them nine games into the season. Now that we're a little bit more settled into our opinions about them, where do you see this season kind of finishing up for them? Do they continue kind of the rampant pace? Do they finish as a top six team or are they more like a play-in type team? I'm more expecting them to be a play-in team, but I'm expecting them towards the top of the play-in. The thing that I'm super duper excited about is now that they've got a sense of identity, they've got a sense of who does what, with Amen Thompson coming back eventually from the grade two ankle sprain, he really only got to play garbage minutes. Um, where they had no idea what to do with him. They treated him like a corner three-point shooter, and that is not what he does. Um, So to get your number four kickback and a dude who absolutely could help transform this team even more, they're a play-in team, man. They're at least a play-in team. Yeah, That's actually something I'm a little worried about, is them finding a role for Ahmed Thompson as they found their groove as a team. Like, they're really hitting a stride right now. And then someone drafted fourth overall with the expectations people have for Amen Thompson, like you have to cut out a role for him. So I'm a little dubious on how they look when he comes back. But in terms of a team, I, I also believe they're a play-in team. Um, I'm, I'm thinking probably the nine spot for them. It seems like you might be thinking like the seven or eight. We're pretty close in opinion between the two of us. And before we move on for them, I want to give them credit for those free agency signings. Twitter was like roaring about how much these guys were getting paid. Fred Van Vliet's doing his best Chris Paul impression. Like his assist to turnover ratio right now is ridiculous. And him setting up that offense has completely unlocked them. And Dylan Brooks, 
I have been defending uh, against you over the summertime. He's been exactly what they paid for and more. He has been an elite three and D wing and he has set a culture for them where you can't get punked. And that matters for a young team. So congrats to the Rockets fans to actually have a fun team to root for. I I just need to shout out Dylan Brooks. I think we did it last time we talked uh, basketball, but in terms of plus minus on the Rockets, he's leading the team. He's a plus 20. The Rockets are 20 points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor. Um, That's an insane number. Jalen Green's a plus 15, but Dylan Brooks leads the team, man. He's, what, 50% from three, over 50% from the field, playing great defense. It's a lot easier to swallow giving $22 million to a guy who may or may not deserve it compared to $40 million. So, you know, I'm still not going to praise the absolute, you know, gargantuan contract that Fred Van Fleet got. But Dylan Brooks, he's been worth the $20 million. And I remember when we did a podcast about free agency and Dylan Brooks got signed, both of us were like, it's a good signing if he stops shot chucking. He's only taking nine shots a game. Yep. Ime Udoka is the guy who could humble Dylan Brooks. And it happened, and it's working out. And now Dylan Brooks looks like a guy who could be a fourth best player on a championship team. That is who they went out and signed, and they are paying massive dividends. So I'm glad that your apology letter has been written to the Rockets because they look pretty good. And even in that game against LeBron, you know, there's a lot of eyes on him. He talked about not backing down. He did that, you know, WWE style stare down with LeBron James. He only took six shots. That's a game where you think Dylan Brooks is attempting 18 shots here. Every single moment is a Dylan Brooks moment. But he only took six shots, man. Everyone in the starting five outshot him. So that is a testament to Ime Udoka. Absolutely. Let's move on to another player that has everyone excited, Anthony Edwards. And I'm just going to start off the conversation with this. I think he's the seventh best player in the entire NBA. I've been making my own little rankings. And when you picture him against Jason Tatum, what is the difference between them? Tatum is a guaranteed, no doubt, top five player in a lot of people's minds. What is Anthony Edwards not doing that Jason Tatum is I think Anthony Edwards is an elite perimeter defender. He's scoring 30 points per game. His playmaking has absolutely improved more than I ever thought it would. He is way better of a passer than I ever thought he would be. He is a solar superstar. He is the reason Minnesota scores the ball. And he's 22. And I think he's the seventh best player in the league. I don't know if I'm being hyperbolic. I'm just I'm just saying what I see with my eyes. I think this kid's a fucking superstar already. He's got th- four 30-point games out of nine games so far. And last night, he had 38 in a win against Golden State. You can tell, I've heard other people talk about this, but Anthony Edwards, when it's close and it's the fourth quarter, is a different player. You see him, I feel like this is an issue he's had his whole career, is just being locked in all the time. He used to be, you know, when he was a rookie, when he was a second-year guy, he'd fall asleep on on defense all the time. Now he's more locked in on that end, and sometimes he's just not engaged all the way through the first three quarters. But as soon as that fourth quarter starts, there isn't a more unstoppable player in the league. You're looking at, you know, like baby Michael Jordan sometimes with the <laughs> shit that he does in the mid-range and the, the way that he posterizes people. It's insanity. I, think, I don't think it's crazy at all to call him top 10, top 7, is steep 
Um, and I think you're going to have to fight with people for, you know, whoever's at that seven, eight, nine spot, but it's not crazy based on what we're seeing. Just in my eyes, like in a vacuum, would I rather take healthy KD right now or healthy Anthony Edwards, healthy Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards, Devin Booker, give me Anthony Edwards, SGA, Anthony Edwards, give me it. Like I just keep going down the list. I wrestled with who do I want more Joel Embiid or Anthony Edwards I ended up giving Joel Embiid the nod, but that was like a real argument I had to have with myself. And same thing with Tatum. Like, I think Edwards is nipping on Tatum's heels um, because both of their downsides is they have these wildly inefficient nights every once in a while. Both of these guys do it. But even Tatum, like, the reason we give him so much praise is the same reason we should be giving Anthony Edwards so much praise is that Tatum can lock in defensively and be the best player on both ends of the ball. Edwards is doing the same shit. So I'm, I've just been in awe of him this season. Like I just have been so wildly impressed. I think the thing that's perfect for Ant is the fact that he's surrounded by good defenders <clears throat> at the other positions with Jaden McDaniels, with Rudy Gobert at the interior being a guy in Ant who could just hound people all day on the perimeter, I think that's so beneficial for him. Um, you know, because he's had this defensive ability, but before they had Rudy Gobert, it was kind of just for nothing. He would lock down somebody and they would pass it to an open teammate and hit a bucket. Uh, the Timberwolves are the best defense in basketball right now. And the eye test absolutely proves it. They stifle every offense they come up against. Um, Anthony Edwards is a big part of that. And the fact that he can turn around and score 30 on basically every night, I, you know, me and you have been high on him forever. We have been ringing the, he will be an MVP one day bell forever. And it's starting to look like it's coming. Might be this year. It might be if the Timberwolves can be that team. Which I also want to talk about the Wolves while we're here and talking about Edwards. Like, I think they, they're they just the second best team in the West. They're better than the Suns. They're better than the Lakers. They're better than the Warriors. They're way better than the Clippers. They're better than the OKC Thunder. They are the second best team in the West. I think it's going to be a Nuggets-Timberwolves Western Conference Finals this year. Which, I was high on the Wolves coming into the season. I pictured, like, a semi-conference appearance. I, all I can see right now is Anthony Edwards facing Jokic in a Western Conference Finals. It's all I know. We're so early into the season, so I know this could be like completely like this guy's crazy. I I just don't see how Anthony Anthony Edwards doesn't make it to that spot when he has Jaden McDaniels, who's a Defensive Player of the Year caliber defender, Rudy Gobert, who's looking like his prime self. And then Cat has had a nice four-game stretch where he's putting up 20 and 10s on efficient shooting. Like, I, I just, where is the hole in the roster? The hole comes down to how many of these guys can you actually trust when the playoffs start. And to me, it's Ant. And it's Ant and that's it. Mike Conley's going to do his thing. He's going to get you six assists and one turnover, seven assists and one turnover. But Carl Anthony Towns shits his pants whenever you put him in a tough situation, man. We, we, I mean, we saw him in the play-in. We saw him in those playoff games. If you want eight points on six shot attempts, Carl Anthony Towns will give that to you. I'm not going to fight you on that. Yet. <laughs> I'm not going to fight you on that. I was slamming the table last year that I think the Wolves could have potentially beaten or taken the Nuggets to seven if Jaden McDaniels didn't break his hand by punching a wall and Nas Reed didn't get hurt in the play-in game. I, I just think 
the way that Wolves team is constructed with three seven-footers when the best player in the league is a seven-footer, they have 18 fouls to run through. And it's been well-documented that Jokic has the hardest time against the Wolves than any other team in the league. Western Conference Finals. <laughs> I, I don't think it's crazy, man. I don't think it's crazy. The Timberwolves are the team to fear outside of the Nuggets. Their defense is just insane. We saw it against the Celtics. We saw it against the Warriors. Their defense is very, very legit. Um, I want to pivot and talk about another great, great team, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers, who have somehow thrived without James Harden. Um, and we'll talk about James Harden and how he's been on his new team in a bit, but Tyrese Maxey has emerged as just one of the best young stars you could have possibly ever asked for. They got him with the 21st pick, and when I look back, when I think back of what I expected from Tyrese Maxey, I think our conversation was about him being a really good six man, like six man of the year caliber. And right now he's a first time all-star it's locked in. I don't see any way that changes. He is, you know, he's not going to make all NBA. We're not going that far yet, but he's an all-star and he's only getting better. He's so young. He is so, so young. We were talking just for a minute there before we hopped on to the pod. Like, he's playing at a fringe all-NBA level right now, not just a first-time all-star. This team is awesome. I love watching them, which is not something I've been able to say in the past, right? We had the Ben Simmons version of this team, hated watching that squad. We had the James Harden iteration of this team, hated watching them. This team gives a shit. And there's such a happy vibe around the squad. Tobias Harris is playing the best basketball of his life. Tyrese Maxey's playing the best basketball of his life. Joel Embiid, quietly, is just repeating what he did last year. Like, he's scoring 32 points per game, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. Like, he is dominating every single night. Kelly Oubre, unfortunately, just suffered a weird injury by getting hit by a car in the Philadelphia area. We wish him well. But he was playing the best basketball of his life. And I just think, you know, you have Nick Nurse, who we respect as a head coach, and five guys playing the best basketball of their lives. This team's going to be an issue moving forward. Absolutely. And you just look at the additions that they've brought in over the past year. Uh, I mean, bringing in, getting rid of Harden, bringing in Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, both of those guys have been rock solid role players. Um, There were conversations about whether or not you want to try to maybe get a bigger guy with those pieces. I think they want to just keep what they have. Patrick Beverly is a plus 17.6. PJ Tucker, plus 14. Um, They have a team that's just, it's built around Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. There is nothing more fun than watching eight, nine possessions in a row of Joel Embiid just taking some (laughs) poor center who can't do shit to stop him, bringing him down to the block and scoring. It's, it's a fun-ass team, man. They are going to continue to dominate. Are they, you know, do they end up as the one seed? The Celtics were so dominant to start the year. I really am still a believer in them holding the one seed. I'm kind of not feeling like the Bucks are fighting for that yet. We'll have that conversation. They'll get there. They'll obviously pick up steam. But at the moment, the one seed fight is between Philly and Boston. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you brought something up uh, that's been in the conversation in the media is just who's the big guy that the Sixers are going to get. I disagree with that philosophy entirely. I think the guys they should be looking at are OG Ananobi from the Raptors, who's not going to take a ton of shots for them, and he's just going to bring awesome wing defense, 
or Alex Caruso from the Bulls. He's basically just plus Pat Bev, right? Pat Bev, you bring him out there to play elite uh, defense at the perimeter and then kind of nothing else. Alex Caruso is the A-plus version of that. I don't think the Sixers bring in another star. I think you have two stars with Maxi and Embiid, and you just surround them with really high-quality role players. And how does this keep up for Tyrese Maxey? Right now, he's averaging 29 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists. This is an insane 9-game stretch from him. Um, in your eyes, when we get to like the halfway mark, when we hit the all-star break, what kind of numbers are you expecting to see from Maxey? Similar. Similar numbers to this. I think maybe like 26 points per game and maybe like 6 assists, but this isn't going anywhere. He is the lead ball handler for a really good team. And he has Joel Embiid as a, you know, break in emergency type of outlet, right? Where if he is having an off night, he can still just give Joel the ball and win games and rack up assists doing that. So I don't see this going anywhere. I think this is him telling us I'm a legitimate star in this league. I think so too, man. And it's just such an awesome emergence for him and for the Sixers, because we had a lot to say about them imploding. Um, about yes. them just not having enough and they just keep losing guy after guy and just not getting replaced by enough talent. Tyrese Maxey single-handedly has shut that up yep. um, because he's he's exactly what they needed. They needed a guy with this kind of offensive pop and the fact that he's showing it is awesome. Right, and quickly before we move on from them is, you know, the trade haul they got back for Harden, a lot of people kind of just viewed Rocco as Nick Batum as throw-ins for salary. Nick Batum and Rocco are perfect for this team. Like, Kelly Oubre unfortunately sustained this injury. The Sixers still have wing depth and length to throw out there. Tobias Harris, Nicholas Batum, and Robert Covington, all three of those guys can defend the 3-4 tweener place. And when Kelly Oubre comes back, they'll have four options at the wing positions. And just looking forward to playoff matchups, I know we're 10 games into the season, you look at a team like the Celtics with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, knowing you have four options and really 24 fouls to kind of spread out between those guys, that means a lot. And I, I think if the 76ers just consolidate some of the assets they got back for Ben Simmons and for James Harden, I think they could get a pretty good role player. And this could be a very scary team come playoff time. I think so too. And I think, you know, regardless, they are. The only thing they're going to have to shake is the Joel Embiid is a pants pooper in the playoffs allegations. Right. Um, and, you know, we've got a bit of evidence built up, but now's the chance. Um, I want to pivot and I want to talk about James Harden on the Clippers and just how garbage this experiment has been so far. Um, James Harden has quickly made himself one of the more disliked players in the NBA through these four force outs in four years, um, bringing him to the Clippers, man, we talked about it just a little bit, but what a mistake. Russell Westbrook is your guy who's going to dribble, dribble, dribble and find a teammate. Um, he's gotten really good about, you know, mostly sticking to doing that in transition and he's not doing that in the half court. James Harden wants to do that in the half court. Both of these guys are zeros when the ball's not in their hands. Russ is getting awesome offensive rebounds. James Harden's not doing a damn thing when the ball's not in his hands. I am, I'm just disappointed from this for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Um, this isn't what I wanted to see from the Clippers. The fact that they traded more wing depth and they have two wings who don't stay healthy very often. Yeah. I don't see the vision. 
I don't see it either. Um, I've been a pretty notorious James Harden hater on this podcast. I, I've been on that train for quite a while some, uh, now. What really frustrates me, and I, I had this kind of same feeling last year when they traded for Westbrook, is this is my favorite player of all times, last chance to win a championship, right, in Kawhi Leonard. He and Paul George started the season at all NBA levels. Kawhi Leonard has played every game this season. So has Paul George, including back-to-backs. Okay, so that's the healthiest stretch we've ever seen from these two together, literally. And yes. the, since the birth of this team, they have the, they have been the healthiest they's, they've ever been. So in my mind, to start the season, I'm super excited. This is the year Kawhi shuts everyone up, tells everyone I'm a top-five player, and they actually contend for a championship. Wank. This James Harden trade kills every dream I had for this team. Kawhi's points have shot down since he entered the team. Paul George's shot points have shot down. Russell Westbrook has been relegated to a bench player. After proving me wrong as an actual competent NBA player, he's been shoved to the bed bench in favor of James Harden. I'm kind of furious about this trade, actually. I think it's like mismanagement at the highest level. And this team means nothing to me now. I think they'll probably make the play-in and lose there. What they need to do is swap Harden and Russell Westbrook's roles. James Harden has to be a guy who just handles the bench unit. He should not be out there with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. When the, it's just it's so frustrating to watch James Harden play with really talented players because you know he wants the ball in his hands for 20 seconds out of the 24-second shot clock. And just they'd be better off giving it to more talented wings. They've got some of the most talents at the wing position in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard, when he's healthy, plays like a top five player. He's not really doing it this season. Um, He was before Harden was there. He was doing great. And then Harden joins and he put up, what was it, 14 the other day. Um, There's not enough basketballs to go around. And James Harden is not at the point in his career where he really deserves that attention and that kind of usage. And I think the the thing maybe lost in the media is I th- the Clippers have been looking for a competent point guard for quite some time, right? I think what got lost is what type of point guard they needed. Fred Van Fleet would have been perfect for this team. Yes. Literally perfect. And Kawhi had played with him before, and that marriage worked very, very well. James Harden's isolation dribbles 16 seconds of the shot clock while Kawhi's waiting for an in- uh a fucking post-up pass, right? Like, that is not what the Clippers should have been doing. You know, when you look at management there and Lawrence Frank, like, I don't know what the fuck happened there. I don't know what motivated them to trade for James Harden in the first place. Um, I'm just, I'm very upset. I'm I'm sad because I think this kind of neuters them in terms of their chances of being a contender i'm pretty bummed out about this yeah especially considering you know nicholas batum and robert covington these are not excellent basketball players five years ago you would have been happy to have them on their team they're still better than nothing better than literally nothing you know i mean james harden in 125 minutes so far is a minus 37 for the clippers he was a minus i think 23 in a single-digit game the other day, a game that came down to five points against the Grizzlies. Um, He hasn't been useful in a single minute on the floor for the Clippers. I don't know how this experiment ends. I don't know what this looks like in a month. We did just do this with the Rockets, right? I said it was doomed. I said it was hopeless. This is a garbage team. There's enough talent here to, to start getting wins. 
But James Harden's going to have to give up some ego very, very quickly. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this is not going to work out. Uh, The chance of James Harden dropping his ego is zero. Um, This dude, in his press conference with the Clippers, said, I am the system. That made rounds. That was hilarious to a lot of people. It just terrified me. And it it has played out in the games where he refuses to take catch-and-shoot shots. He looks lost waiting for catch-and-shoot shots. He doesn't know how to do it because the ball's always been in his hands. And even when the ball is in his hands, he looks extremely ineffective. Like, I'm going to say this season ends with a play-in loss for the Clippers, and they don't even re-sign Harden when it comes to the postseason. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, Let's move on and let's talk about your caps because I think they're on the rise here. I will let you take it over. Yeah, so the Cavs, the last time I was on this podcast, I was pretty frustrated with the way they had been playing. Um, I was pretty frustrated with Evan Mobley. I was pretty frustrated with the injuries and the effort that I was seeing. I'm no longer frustrated. I think with Garland back, with Jared Allen back, with Max Struess being more efficient and not being forced to be the second most shot taker on a team while Garland and Allen were take, uh, injured, I think we're going to start seeing them kind of get their groove back here. Mobley had a nice game against Oklahoma City and Golden State, so that was a little bit encouraging. They face Sacramento tonight, and they're getting De'Aaron Fox back. So that'll definitely be a battle. But I just think with the Bucks looking as poorly as they do, I think the Cavs have a chance to grab the third seed in the East. I mean, that was the conversation we had at the start of the season. Is that the Cavs are a home field advantage playoff team. And they started hurt. They started with no Jared Allen, Darius Garland in and out of the lineup. Obviously, we were not seeing the best version of this Cleveland squad. Um, now that they're healthy, they're going to go back. I mean, you know, I was never in the kind of doomer mindset, but I think it's because I watch the Cavs from an outside perspective and I'm not as invested in their wins and losses. Um, I do expect them to be a top four seed. I mean, to, to think they could surpass the Bucks, that's that's saying something. I'm not sure if I'm with you on that. I, I still think yeah. the Bucks just have too much talent, and eventually that script is just going to have to flip, and that offense right. is just going to start being overpowered. But with the defense the Cavs have, that's they're going to be a top four seed at the least. Yeah, and I, I also, it's less of an indictment on the Bucks from my end and just more of like a compliment to the Cavs where I think they're about to rattle off a lot of wins um, pretty soon here just because they have everyone together. And like I said, the Max Struess for Okoro swap in that lineup, it's going to pay dividends sooner or later. Um, I, I'm just really excited about them moving forward. I'm less pessimistic than I was a few days ago for sure. I was pretty frustrated as a fan where, you know, you have Wemby, Chet, Jalen Duran, Mark Williams all balling their eyes out, and then, you know, Mobley, I'm kind of looking for more. Now I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable and excited to see where this team goes in a few weeks. They got a big game tonight against the Kings. I mean, the the big versus big matchup I think is going to be fun. Um, The fact that De'Aaron Fox is back is going to be tough for them. The Kings have looked garbage without De'Aaron Fox. He has been so important. But that is an exciting game for tonight, man. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about LaMelo Ball. He has his moments where we kind of talk <laughs> about this where we talk about Trey Young. There are times where he is out there and it's surprising that this man's in the NBA. 
And then you see a quarter from him where just eight, nine possessions in a row, he runs high pick and roll and makes a beautiful read for a bucket or an assist. And it makes sense. LaMelo Ball has those moments where, you know, for so much of the game, he can look garbage and then he can just really step it up when they need him to. Um, The Hornets are such a bad team and so not fun to watch. But there are some golden moments from LaMelo. Yeah, so I'll start with LaMelo first. I, you know, I have been a doubter of his on this podcast since his rookie of the year because I was an Anthony Anthony Edwards guy. You can go back and listen. 30 games into Edwards' career, I said he could be a top 10 player. Um, But in turn, that made me kind of angry at LaMelo's success. I thought it was maybe driven by the hype train that he won rookie of the year. I didn't really see a, a big reason why to give him the award over Edwards. Um, and then his play-in disasters, he's had two of them where he just disappears in the play-in and the team loses. This year, I'm changing my tune. I've watched a lot of Hornets basketball because in preseason, I was kind of fighting for them as not being a garbage team. This dude is legitimately great. Like, he controls offense at an, at a level that most point guards can't do. His creativity and ball handling opens up opportunities for his teammates that other players just cannot open up. And I I just kind of wanted to give him his flowers because I'm appreciating him in a way that I hadn't in the past because I'm watching so many of their games. Now, in terms of the Hornets being a good team, I'm not wavering off that. Unfortunately, the criminal is joining their team on Saturday. That was a big reason on why I thought they were going to be decent. Brandon Miller did just roll his ankle, but that dude, I'm all behind Brandon Miller. I've said it on the podcast before. Like, I'm a huge, huge fan of his. And Terry Rozier, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but when he comes back, like, Mark Williams has been fantastic this year. P.J. Washington struggling from three, but he's been good. Gordon Hayward's been really good. Like, I just think when this team fully comes together, they're actually going to surprise some people. I know you don't think this, but... I'm staying on that bandwagon. I'm just waiting for the team to come together. And LaMelo Ball is, like, actually a very special player that I think I I deserve – he deserves an apology from me. So I'm going to give him that. If the Hornets become a watchable basketball team, they will have surprised many, many people. Um, Yeah. yeah. They are – it's god-awful, man. They had two games in the past week to the Wizards, uh, back-to-back games against the Wizards. Some of the worst basketball that can be played in the NBA was played. Um, You know, maybe things do change when you bring back guys who actually know how to play. You just go through the list and there's just not much, man. Mark Williams is awesome. Mark Williams is such a good center. Um, Gordon Hayward has played nine games so far, which means his leg's probably going to explode any minute. Um, Terry Rozier, you know, he was doing great in the games he played. There's just not much that's going to propel this team past any of them. Well, this is, this is what I would say to that, is they scored the most points in the paint in the entire league, which I think would surprise a lot of people. They're dead last in three-point shooting. That will not continue. Like, this team is not the worst shooting team in the entire league. It's just not. And the criminal is joining them, and the criminal, he's a decent player and will provide wing defense and rim pressure and all this shit, right? So it's, it's not going to sustain... And when you said, you said it yourself, Terry Rozier was playing well for this team when he was playing. Unfortunately, he got hurt. But Brandon Miller, 
that 27% from three is not going to fucking last. If you watched that game against the Knicks the other day before he rolled his ankle, that was about to be a special performance. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I'm going to hold my stock. I may look stupid for it, but I, I just see this team being able to kind of turn things around in a few weeks. The one thing I will say to try to swing you off of that is that by basketball reference, Brandon Miller has played 93% of his minutes at small forward. Miles Bridges is a small forward. Yeah. So we are going to take out our young, awesome wing and put in a criminal um, and a domestic abuser. And, you know, we're not going to see Brandon Miller anymore. Um, Obviously, we're going to see him for some minutes, but he just got a starting spot and it's about to be yanked away from him. They're going to put Brandon Miller in the lineup no matter what. He's he's too good to take him out of the lineup. So, yes, it might be jumbled, but if they run a lineup with Lamella Mall, Brandon Miller, the criminal, P.J. Washington, and Mark Williams... That's fine with me. Or you can run Gordon Hayward out there. Like, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see with this team. Like, I, I'm still confident in what I saw preseason with just how the team's constructed. Now, when you see Teo Maladon running point, that makes you want to cry. But uh, if Rozier comes back healthy and the criminal plays the way I think he could potentially play, this team's probably going to end up being better than people want to admit. Yeah, the guard rotation outside of LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier is Teo Maladon, Ish Smith, yeah. and Leaky Black. Um, yeah. And rookie Amari Bailey and Nick Smith Jr. Yeah. So, you know, there there's a reason why they're going to end up the way that they are. When the starting five is all playing together, there's absolutely fun moments. Um, but yeah. the bench isn't good enough. There's just not enough cumulative talent on the team. But they're going we'll somewhere, see. man. Yeah, we'll see. Um, let's talk about the Denver Nuggets, because to no surprise to me, they are the one seed in the West. Um, They just had a very, very close loss to the Rockets, and we gave the Rockets their flowers for that. No Jamal Murray, but it's still a game you expect them to win. Um, There's really nothing new to say if you've been following Nuggets basketball over the past couple of years, except that, you know, Jokic is doing what he does when there's no Jamal Murray. He's averaging 30, 14, and 8 on, again, ungodly efficiency. It's almost boring to do this year after year. Um, He is... In my eyes, he's the best player in basketball. Um, Giannis just had, what was it, 54 and 12. You can absolutely argue he deserves to be there. I will let you do that. Uh, But we're seeing the best player on the best team continue to just be a juggernaut. Yeah, I'm done with the Giannis. I wanted to hold out to give Giannis his flowers because I think his reign as the number one player was too easily forgotten. But it is Jokic pretty confidently now um, in my eyes. One thing I want to note with the Nuggets, because they've been very good. Actually, I have two things to note. One, Reggie Jackson has played really well in Jamal Murray's absence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if people were expecting that. I know I definitely wasn't. Uh, last year, he was kind of an afterthought for them in general. Like He didn't play a ton of important minutes for them in the playoffs. And he's come in and been a really serviceable replacement for Jamal Murray, which I wasn't expecting. And two, the bench that me and you have given a lot of credit to, uh, the Nuggets, for forming with all these young guys have been kind of ass. So, I, yeah, I do think that's something we need to watch out for moving forward this season just because I have faith in them long term because Peyton Watson and Julian Strother look like hits to me. Yeah. But when they don't show up, it's the same thing the Nuggets used to struggle with in the past where it's Jokic is great and then once he leaves the court, it's over. 
we 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 have to keep an eye on that for the rest of the season. I think this is just the Denver Nuggets. Uh, it's just who they are. They just refuse to get a serviceable backup center. And so for all of the minutes Jokic is out, they're just going to be garbage. Julian Strother did have one 20-point game against the Pelicans. He looked great. But you're right. Overall, the bench has been weak. Um, I, I'm hoping that it's just a case of it's early and you're missing Jamal Murray, who would absolutely be helping boost these bench guys' numbers. Uh, but Peyton Watson's something like a minus 20 so far. Uh, Christian Brown's a minus 6. Zeke Naji minus 30. Julian Strother minus 30. They definitely have not found their stride yet. Yeah, the Christian Brown one's probably the thing that surprises me most. I think seeing him come off a finals appearance and play really, really well in that in those spots, I thought he was going to sleepwalk into the season as like an above average player. The jury's still kind of out on him. Like we're waiting for him to become consistent. I think we've seen in flashes that he has potential but we need him to become a more reliable bench piece for them. Um, Peyton Watson, Strother, they're getting their first NBA minutes. I'm okay with them having shitty games. Yeah. If Christian Brown was a good player in a finals matchup, like I was expecting a little bit more from him this season. Um, but they did face a good team in the Rockets. We just gave them their flowers. So this loss isn't, you know, super, super surprising, right? This Rockets team has really been playing their ass off. And the Nuggets are down Jamal Murray. So, you know... They said Jamal Murray was out for all of November. So they have a little bit while to like a little more time to kind of keep afloat. But when you have the best player in the league, you're probably going to be fine. So I'm not really worried at all, but just two things to look at. Yeah. Every night Jamal Murray is out. Jokic is a guaranteed 30 points at least. Um, You know, he he's, his numbers are insanity. And the only other loss the Nuggets have put up so far is to the Timberwolves who yep. did what they do and just stifled every attempt to generate any kind of offense. Um, you were on this from the beginning, and I think, yeah, you just do deserve a little bit of credit. The Nuggets are going to be stopped by the Timberwolves. Not in the playoffs, but it's the only team that comes close. It's the only team that even challenges them. Every other team, it's a cakewalk. But the size that the Timberwolves have, Jaden McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns just existing as a seven-footer in the vicinity, Rudy Gobert, that is enough to make life very difficult for Jokic. And, you know, so far it's the only team that's been capable of doing it. Yeah, and I I mean, that's a credit to how great the Nuggets are, right? Is there's only one team we can even fathomly, fathom, like, even challenging them, yeah. right? That's a testament to them being a absolute juggernaut, as of this case, especially in the West, where it was supposed to be, you know, death row, right, with the Suns and the Warriors and the Lakers, I'm not really concerned about any of those teams for the Nuggets. I think they'd smash all of them. It's yeah. really just the Wolves that I think could give them a, t- a hard time. So if you're a Nuggets fan, are how are you feeling so far? Like, are you feeling like you are the favorite and you probably will repeat this season? Or are you concerned about Minnesota? Are you concerned about Boston in the other conference? Like, what are your feelings if you're a Nuggets fan, do you think? I'm waiting to see how the bench unit starts to pick itself up. Um, because, you know, if Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, Julian Strother, Zeke Naji, all these guys, if they're going to be absolute zeros for the whole season, which I absolutely don't expect, but it's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, the Nuggets are kind of set up to whoever the starting five is, is going to look great, and their on-off numbers are always going to be inflated because they play next to Jokic. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, it's really just... You know, can we count on a little bit more from guys like Aaron Gordon only averaging a little under 14 points? KCP's at 10 points. 
with Jamal Murray out, can these guys step up a little bit more? Because as much as I enjoy seeing 35 and 14 every night for Jokic, it's just not as sustainable as other kinds of basketball. And it's not really what Jokic wants to play. Yeah, that's super fair. And I think, you know, when we are talking about the Nuggets bench, I think it's good to put a perspective that the Celtics bench has been struggling as well, right? So we have a few top heavy teams that, you know, their depth isn't exactly something to brag about. So even if that is the matchup, right, and Peyton Watson and Julian Strother don't exactly hit the ceiling we want them to hit, it's it's not going to be the end of the world, right? Because right. the Celtics and the other conference are struggling as well with the same issue, I know we didn't put this in the pre-notes, the pre-podcast notes, but I just want to get a, get your take on the Celtics really quickly about a specific issue that I brought up last year. What are your thoughts on Al Horford? Is this the year he becomes obsolete offensively? Because if you go to him and his stats on the Boston Celtics right now, I think he'd be surprising some people that he's only scoring five points per game on 37% from the floor and 24% from three. Is this the year his legs are shot on offense, the jump shot doesn't fall, and he's just an isolation defender? Like, is that what he's become? Or do you think this is just a, a weird slump and he'll be fine? I mean, I'd more, I'd be more inclined to say that this is a weird slump. Al Horford shoots a set shot, and so not yeah. having your legs under you shouldn't affect the set shot that you shoot. Obviously, I think the 24% from three will go up over the season, but that is what happens when you get phased out of the lineup. Um, we used to run plays to get Al Horford open in the wings for three, and we just don't do that anymore because we've got more talent. Kristaps um, Porzingis deserves his shots. He's going to have shit run for him because he's that good. And I think Al Horford's A-OK with that, man. I think he wants the the lesser role, the relaxed role during the regular season so we don't have a repeat of last year's playoffs where we're just expecting way too much of him late into these series. I think that's a good call because I think a lot of Celtics fans were really upset when Al's shot just completely evaporated in the playoffs last year because you could make the argument if he was hitting his three-point shots, you guys be you would be in the finals. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's the Celtics are just an interesting squad right now because that top five is so devastatingly great. The best two perimeter defenders like in the league and Derek White and Drew Holiday at their positions. And then you have Tatum, who's a top five or six guy, Jalen Brown, who's a fringe all-NBA guy, and then Porzingis is playing, like, the best ball of his life. He is absolutely stunning for that team. But then you just drop down to the bench, and it's very similar to the Nuggets. You know, Sam Hauser shows up every once in a while. Horford's struggling. Pritchard's a no-show. Cornette's a bum. Banton, bum. Lamar Stevens, I had to watch him for three years. That dude's a bum. So it's like, it is... Five incredibly talented players, probably the best starting five in the entire league, and then ass. What are your thoughts on the Celtics and their bench moving forward? I I mean, I was probably never as high on Peyton Pritchard as some other people. Um, we heard conversation all the time, it feels like, over the last year or two about how Peyton, Peyton Pritchard could be a starter on a bad team. I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he is a shooting guard in a point guard's body. He is a six foot tall dude who's really just out there to shoot first. Um, Sam Hauser, I think he's going to be a reliable three point shooter. He's not out there to do a single other thing, but <laughs> for a dude who can be a movement three point shooter, he's absolutely that. Um, right. I don't rely on this bench. If the starting five is not winning you the game, you're not winning the game is how I feel about the Celtics. 
I feel the same exact way. They are Nuggets East in my mind, where they are just absolutely bowling through competition. And then if their bench sucks, who cares? Because in the playoffs, you're only playing seven guys anyway, yeah. right? Now, would it be nice to be able to give Tatum and Brown a breather and have a guy out there who could sustain, you know, some decent basketball? Sure. That's what they want Hauser to be. He's done it in the regular season in spurts. You know, I'm comfortable saying that he'll probably end up doing it um, in the postseason as well. Our friend Nate, uh, who runs a awesome Celtics Twitter page, you should go follow him. He's put insane amounts of clips on Twitter of Sam Hauser and isolation defense where he holds up pretty well. Um, he's not someone you can just pick on. Um, so if you have a guy like that who can also be a movement shooter can, and give Tatum and Brown a little bit of rest, I'm on board. I think the Celtics will be fine. I do think their their bench being as bad as it is is something to just keep an eye on, though, moving forward. I agree. And I also think, you know, when you have a team that's built around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown taking 20 shots a game and you bring in a dude who you pay $36 million in Drew Holiday, and you bring in a dude who you pay $31 million in Kristaps Porzingis, there's not a lot of shots to go around. Um, so, you know, if Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser are getting 20 points in a game, it's because the starters are sitting the fourth quarter. Um, you know, a really good game from them is like 12 on three of four from three and like five to six efficiency. Like, we're not expecting them to take even eight shots in a game. Um, so the bench scoring is going to suck, but we just, it's, the situation where we don't want them shooting that much anyway. So it's not really that big of a deal. And this might be too early to ask, but do you feel like there are any real challengers for the Eastern Conference right now? Or do you feel like this is the Celtics in a runaway? Because me specifically, I don't think there are any real contenders. Maybe Philly can join that group um, if they trade for the players I mentioned, Alex Caruso or OG Ananobi. But as of right now, I really do feel like it's the Celtics and no one else. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the Celtics and no one else. And I think we talk about, you know, Joel Embiid as a playoff pants pooper. And the Jays have been in more playoff series than anybody their age. And they failed to reach the top. They failed to actually win the whole thing. So if people want to throw out pants pooper allegations about the Celtics, there's not much I can say. Honestly, Um, so it's a battle between which of those teams between the Sixers and Celtics is going to throw it away for themselves. (laughs) It's actually, it's an awesome point. It's just, you know, you'd think with a team with that much talent, that wouldn't be the angle you have to take, (laughs) but it is. It's the angle you have to take where it's the Celtics have really been the, the reason for their own demise over their, you know, stretch of success here. Um, I don't know. Also, I want to say Joe, Joe Mazzulla is still a horrible head coach. <laughs> I don't I don't want this to be forgotten um, just because they're winning a bunch of games and they have the most talented top five in the entire league. He is Luke Walton. He is Luke Walton. Like, I need everyone to understand that. He came at a reporter the other night, and it was the most ridiculous re- exchange I've seen this season where the reporter asked – um, it, what's the issue with the Celtics taking too many threes when they lost to the Sixers? And Joe Mazzulla brought up an article from seven years ago that the reporter wrote and kind of shamed him for it and like kind of laughed in his face. I, 
what the fuck are you doing? Like, just say, uh, we should have drove to the paint more and move on. But he got all defensive and personal and, like, attacked the reporter. That dude's a bum, and he will cost the Celtics a game at some point in the postseason, guaranteed. I, I mean, I don't... I have no venom or vigor against <laughs> Joe Mazzulli, man. Um, we're seven and two. The one thing I will say is I'm very, very thankful that we have insulated Joe Mazzulli with some good head coaches. Jason Tatum gives Sam Cassell a lot of credit for helping him kind of bring back the mid range into his game. Um, you need coaches like that when you you're not you're not doing it alone. When you're not a top three head coach in the NBA, you need to surround yourself with enough smart dudes. Um, you know, Joe Mazzulla is going to be bad at calling timeouts forever. I don't care. Perfect. We have enough talent. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's that's fair. That's fair. I just need people to understand that Joe Mazzulla is still the same guy he was last year. It's just the team is so much better. Like, Drew Holiday and Kristaps are the perfect fits. Brad Steven, by far away, the best GM in the league. Um, I think we covered about everything we wanted to. Is there anything else that's piquing your interest that you just need to get off your chat? I got one more thing, actually. It should be quick. Let it go. Wembenyama's taking too many threes. Um, I understand that's a part of what makes him special, is that he can stretch you out, and he'll have these weird games where he'll go 7 for 10 from 3 as a 7 foot 3 guy. I understand that's a part of the package that makes him such a you know, unique prospect, but there has to be a toning down of that, in my opinion, for him to reach the fringe all NBA guy I predicted him to possibly be this year. So I think I think that's what made that prediction a little bit early. Um, when we talked preseason about, you know, if there's anything, what is going to slow Victor Wembanyama down? I think we both agreed that it was going to be the amount of outside jumpers that he took the fact that he relied on that too heavily because at the moment he just lacks the strength to do anything else. Um, I think we're going to get to the end of the season and Wemby's going to be shooting 32, 31% from three on six, seven attempts a game. I think this is here to stay the three point shooting. And it's just a thing he's going to slowly improve upon over time. Yeah. The Spurs are kind of using this as like a developmental season where they're just letting all their guys try whatever they'd like to try. Like Jeremy Sohan's running point guard for this team. Like, you know, I don't think that was ever what teams thought he was going to be, but the Spurs want to see if he can do it. And they're just letting Victor take six threes a game. You know, maybe he bumps that percentage up to 36 by the end of the season. I have no idea. It seems unlikely. Right. But that's what they're trying to figure out is, hey, are these shots we should be allowing him to take? Are these shots that we should tell him to cut out of his game? And every time you see one go in, it feels like the four that missed before it are totally okay. When you watch yeah. a pull-up 30-footer over Rudy Gobert, and you know he's a dude who's 7'2 and can't contest shit. Like It's, it's like, all right, just take that again. That was amazing. Do yeah. that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's exactly right. But that's just something I've noticed. Just because I'm a huge fan and I really thought – you know, people were underrating how good he could be right away. I did think he had a chance to be like a top 16, 15 guy in the league by the end of his rookie year. I'm starting to think that if this is his shot selection throughout the entire season, he won't be able to achieve that unless all of a sudden he starts banging home threes at a at a way higher clip. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, he's still 19, and these are the growing pains. Um, these are the shit that he's going to have to work out is, you know, how do I stop settling for outside jumpers? Cause every guy who's like this, 
Uh, Kevin Durant could take an outside jumper, could shoot up and raise up over somebody every single possession down the floor for every single basketball game. Um, you got to do, he just has to figure out how to insert himself into the offense. Right. Um, and I think that's going to come. I think that's absolutely going to come a time. All right. I think that'll do it. Thank you, Ben, for this nice long podcast we did today. I had a lot of basketball on the brain. Thank you guys for listening. Do you have anything else to say before we get on out of here? I got nothing to say. Thanks everybody. We'll catch you later. Peace. Peace.